0: We've been going through this series, I get the honor of actually closing this series on he is, and what he is is about is the first, or the seven I am statements that take place in the book of John. In the book of John, there's this, these, these statements are using the Greek term ego eimi, and all that means is truly I am, but the whole point is, is behind that, it's not just Jesus claiming to exist, it is Jesus pulling on an Old Testament thread to show what he's really like. The whole point of this series is to see Jesus is making very particular claims about who he is. And because of who he is, we can learn more about what we are supposed to be. So I'd ask you to walk with me as we go through this, um, this last session in, in a very powerful series. We've gone um, through all of these I am statements. There are actually technically about 24 in the whole book of John that are truly, uh, it's ego in me, in that order. And all of them are on the lips of Jesus except for one. But there are seven particular ones where he's making some very clear claims that is greater than just uh, I am present or, or that type of thing. One of them was I am the bread of life. We started this series with this idea of God through Jesus is providing divine sustenance. He is the bread of life. He is better than the manna that came down from heaven. He is greater than Moses, who was the one who called down that bread. God gave the bread. Moses was was present. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, no, I'm the bread of life. This is the type of bread. When you have this, you have all you need. He says, I am the light of the world. He said, in the middle of the darkness that's all around us, Jesus comes in and claims, I am the one who would light up everything. There is no darkness when you are around this king. I am the door of the sheep and the good shepherd. We kind of combined, but it pulls on this Old Testament idea of God as the shepherd, as the chief shepherd. I am, uh, uh, God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, Right? I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. These ideas that literally death is defeated by this particular person. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it is a bold claim. He can stand in front of Lazarus and call him out of the grave, which is exactly what the door that he has opened for us in the future. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Isaac went through this last week, and he talked about the loss of meaning. We really don't have meaning in our world today. We're finding it in lesser things. We have no foundation for it. So literally, most of the world around us is grabbing onto these small Judeo-Christian things and then not liking the Judeo-Christian viewpoint. And today, we're going to hit I am the true vine. Um, Now, this sounds simple, right? Most of the metaphors Jesus uses, he snags, right? from. I mean, he could be walking with his disciples down the road and, and just start telling a story about a fig tree. He could... He could actually speak to the Syrophoenician woman and talk about how like, puppies come to the table for scraps. These are things that they would understand and know. But what we have to do is we have to understand there's a deeper meaning when he says, I am the true vine. And I want to walk you through that. We have to go back into the Old Testament, which we all should do. We must remember that... Christianity isn't a brand new religion. It is a basically a fulfillment of what was, what was actually spoken of in the Old Testament. It is where it was intended to go. So when you read this, my beloved had a vineyard. Isaiah is speaking of God. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Wrong fruit that's the wrong fruit. And he's claiming this of his people. Isaiah is saying God brought forth Israel for a purpose. They were to bring fruit, but they brought wild fruit. Jeremiah says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? The vine imagery, it's it's being spoken of as if it's a a bad thing or or Israel has made it a bad thing. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his his fruit uh, increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy they pillars. Hosea is saying Israel, in essence, was given. They were the choice vine. They were designed to be this thing that brought sustenance and, and life and fruit to the world. But yet they moved into idolatry. They built alt- altars. With, basically, if you read some of the other prophets, it's with all God's stuff. It's basically God is the husband. He gives all this stuff to his betrothed, and they use it to find other husbands and worship other gods. And probably one of the the biggest ones is in Psalm 80. Israel had failed in some of their jobs. They'd gone astray. They weren't taking care of the widow, the poor, the orphan, the sojourner. And they had also failed because they were falling into idolatry. They were worshiping other gods. And for that, they are exiled out of their promised land. So the psalmist is is basically speaking of this moment. You brought a vine out of Egypt. That's, That's literally Exodus language. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you've made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. The psalmist is grieving saying, Come, bring us back. We know we've, we've, we've failed. You saved us originally. You are our, our redeemer. You brought us out of Egypt. You've planted us in a promised land. you planted us in soil, and we failed. We've been taken out. So it's looking for this mercy. And this whole idea of vine imagery is all over the Old Testament, but it's in real life as well. There's actually coins that were stamped. This isn't it, but there are coins stamped. If any of you know the Maccabean period, it's kind of after the, 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 kind of the temple's, the exile's over, the, the temple's rebuilt, but then it's just quiet for a long period of time. And in that period of time, uh, there's uh, basically Jewish gained uh, gain their independence, and they mint coins. And almost coins is what? It's a. A vine and a grape leaf. This is actually from the the first revolt against Rome. This is uh, a um, Masada coin. And you can see there's a giant grape leaf on it. You see, Israel understood their identity. They understood who they were supposed to be. They were the choice vine. They were the vine that was to bring God's plans to the rest of the world. They were the new garden it was to provide prosperity and goodness to the world. But they didn't. But see, here's the thing. Also, on the prophet's mouth were these ideas that, no, no, it's going to be made good. There's going to come a time, and I'm going to go through just a few of them. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land your people shall all be righteous they shall possess the land forever the branch of my planting the work of my hands that i might be glorified you see there's this tone of something this vine is going it, to it's going to get fixed things are going to get better this god will not leave us forever and that takes us to today that's the old testament idea of this vine imagery the vine points to a vine that failed, but there is a coming vine, perhaps a true vine. And this is the thing that John is capturing. He's basically saying, "Let's be honest. Think of nature. Have you ever? Has anyone driven through vineyards before? Walked through them? Anybody? There's like nobody here. None of you drink wine either. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Okay, so you got a couple, like three of you that are honest. Good. We are in church. Just joking. Um, when you look at an, a, a vine, you see it in the ground and it comes up, and, and you can tell it's wider at the bottom, right? And as it goes out into the branches, it gets thinner, and on where the fruit comes, it comes on the branches. So you're like, no, is this a miraculous thing, did something just shoot power and boom, fruit pop up? No, it comes from, through that, that, uh, that vine. It's coming up and providing life to the whole, whole plant this is the beauty of this. Jesus uses simple metaphors. You could tell, like, yeah, I get it. You gotta, you gotta have the vine in order to have the fruit because the branches is where the, it's obvious, right? So put put aside all your, like, there's some people in here, you're probably like agriculture people. I don't know anything about this, but put aside your science for a second and just understand. There's a very simple thing that John is saying here. You don't even need to know the Old Testament background to see. oh, that makes sense what I want you to really hold on to is the Old Testament talks about a renewed vine, a new vine, a vine that would not fail. And this is where we begin today. I'm going to take you through the text for the day, and then we'll go back and kind of piece some stuff out. So we're going to read right through the whole text, and then we'll come back. This is God's word for us today. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, something to know about John. John's very black and white. He typically has a this versus that. He repeats things a lot. Did you catch that at all? Did you catch some words that just kept coming up over and over and over again? John's telling us, pay attention Pay attention to what's going on here. And the first thing I, I noticed about the passage is, this is a present and active God. This is not a God who's, who's sitting on the sidelines. And there's a few things that tell me this. First, it starts out and says, I am a true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Okay, when you see vine dresser, does any of you know what a vine dresser is? You're like, it must dress vines. Okay, that it's, I actually think that was a bad choice in, trans, in, in translation. The word is actually gardener. Now, when you think of Jesus talking about the father who's a gardener, what does that make you think of? There's a garden at the very first couple of pages of the Bible. God creates everything good. He makes the ground to grow things. He puts animals in it, and he puts his, the peak of his creation and his image bearers to care for it, to take his creative energy and pour it out into creation so that more of what he created will be created alongside it. That garden had a ton of really good fruit, by the way. We don't hear about it. We only hear about the two trees, but there was a bunch of trees in that garden, and they had access to all of them except one we'll come back to that all right we have a true vine we have the father who's the vine dresser so there is clearly already a connection and then there's a further connection i'm the vine you are the branches so we have vine dresser vine branches so anything that the vine dresser provides to the vine clearly flows through to the branches there's this unity and union with this whole idea that this is pass through stuff the vine dresser cares for his, his creation. So when he, he will feed the vine, he will grow the vine, and the vine passes that to the branches for the purpose of bearing fruit. There's also this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's this double keeping of commandments and, and abiding in love, right? So I, I did it with a father. Now you do it with me. You abide in me. You keep those commandments with me. You love like I love. Okay. The trick is, there's this weird word in there. How many of you use this in your normal day-to-day? Yeah, Bell, I'm gonna head over to Taco Bell and abide for a little while. <laughs> right? It's not something that we use. Um the Greek word behind this is meno, and and it really just means remain, stay. But it's hard. I mean, the way this is the way this text is talking about abiding, and John loves this word by the way. He uses it a lot. Um I I was trying to think of like there are some ideas, like imagine plugging your phone in or plugging into something. That's okay. I mean you're getting power from it, but it seems a little bit reduced. So I am, I'm a guy who likes to hang out in the kitchen. Any, have any of you had my pulled pork before? Anybody? Like three of you. <laughs> All right, I want to offer more pulled pork to the whole congregation. It's something I love doing. I love the kitchen. I love food. Food brings people together. It, it's, it's a relational thing. I think of abiding like marinating meat. Okay, when you want a tri-tip to taste really good, you can just throw it on the grill. You get it some good caramelization. It'll taste pretty good. But if you want it to taste really good, you marinate it. You stick it in stuff that it absorbs in, that actually saturate it, that become part of its actual, it becomes part of its flavor. It's not a perfect metaphor, but I think this is more of what abiding should be seen as. It's like marinating yourself. It's, it's bringing in that stuff that's outside of you, that stuff that's beyond you to make you Better. Okay? Abiding is seen all over, but I, I actually tried to nail down what I think John was trying to say. What, what is this abiding thing? What, what does it mean? What are the components of it? And I came up with this. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I wanna tell you, we're Westerners, so we're gonna look at these three things, ask, keep, love, and we're gonna try to dissect them. We're gonna try to stick something over here and understand what it is. But what I want you to know is that John is looking at these wholesale. John is saying these all belong together. So what is asking? What is asking? It's simple, guys. It's the thing that you probably do worst. It's praying. It's submitting everything to God. It's asking God to change you. It's, it's, it's saying, I, wa- I want to interact with God on all levels. I want to be saturated with this idea of through this vine, I'm gonna be constantly getting all of my power, all of my energy, all of my giftings come from this one place, all the ones that are worthwhile, everything that would allow me to bear fruit, that all comes through here. And one of those key elements is just asking. God's not a divine piñata. You don't whack at him and then something pops out, but you ask. He wants you to ask. Second thing is, if you keep my commandments, the word here in in Greek actually could mean keep or guard or observe, um, and and the idea is... um, I think a lot of us, when we think of keeping the commandments, we might be thinking of just following a particular rule. And I think obedience is built into this, but it's like there is a level of carrying it with you. It's, a, it's an idea of um, I'm, these commandments, they go with me. They're part of me. That doesn't mean I do them right all the time, but they're a part of me. And then, of course, love. Now, some of you, like I said, some of you in the room, you might say, I'm great at the asking thing let me submit if you're great at the asking thing but you're not very good at the keeping and loving thing you've missed something right maybe you're really good at the love thing i think i feel best on that level i'm probably weakest on the ask asking i could keep the rules i could try to love my my family uh the people are my neighbors my friends my congregation my enemies i feel like i actually i'm not great at it but i kind of go there but at the end of the day if i'm not talking to god about those things if i'm not asking him hey Yeah, this is a very messy situation and I really have no desire to step into it. But your will be done. I am here at your will to see your creation pull forward. Some of you are really good at keeping the rules. You don't talk to God about them at all. right? Imagine your manager at work. Very beginning of the year is coming up. You sit down with them and I give you like, here's the things you need to do. And then you decided not to meet with them again until the next year. You can still be following those rules, but if I'm not interacting about, hey, well we're changing this a little bit here. You miss something, right? You have to balance these things out. The whole point is John is saying, this is all a part of abiding. These are all packages in the abiding and you don't try to split them off and do really good at one and not the other. All the purpose of abiding. So if we figure out, if we have an idea of what this word means, the whole purpose is to bear fruit. And I know some of you in here probably feel like, yeah, I'm I'm not one of those prosperous branches. I don't feel like I bear a whole lot of fruit. And I get that. We all have seasons like that. Maybe some of you feel like, yeah, I produce really good fruit. Is it the right fruit? I'm like, yeah. I have a dog, and I'm not a good gardener. So every day, every day, I either am walking with socks or barefoot in my house, and I walk along, and occasionally a burr is under my foot. Ow! And it's because that dog brought it in. That burr is a seed. It's, for all intents and purposes, a fruit of something. It's not good fruit, and that's not a good dog. It's actually a good dog. But you see, it's important to understand fruitfulness matters. If you remember anything we talked about in the Old Testament about the vine, the problem wasn't that there wasn't fruit, it was the wrong kind of fruit. But wrong kind of fruit, no fruit, same problem. And, and if we're being really honest, you know, this passage alone says some pretty powerful things about no fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit and from apart from me you can do nothing. You were designed to bear fruit. Um, if you're a branch that's not bearing fruit, I believe what John is saying is you're pretty much a dead branch. There's no life in you. And I think part of the problem is, we all have those moments. And we're gonna talk a little bit later about how we get distracted. Life pulls us in different directions. We try to plug in to the wrong thing or we only partially marinate. If you ever had, it's bad by the way, if you ever had like a tri-tip where only one end was done, it's just no good. You plug in and get your power from the wrong place, fake places, bad vines, pseudo-life. It's a problem. But for those of you, I want to talk to you a little bit about pruning. See, there's a a tendency for us to look at passages like this and feel like um, maybe God's not good after all. And I want to challenge you mightily. There's some of you right now that are going through horrible stuff. Horrible. You're barely making it by. If you call Jesus King, let me suggest to you that sometimes God pairs us. Sometimes He cuts us back. Because if you've ever seen the heaven, it's amazing. The whole point is that actually vineyards can do this around two times a season. At the beginning, if you've ever gone to a vineyard at, when it's dead season, they look like these just brown teas. You're like, is that just a, like a, a branch holder? No, it's the vine. But if you come back later, after more time, more sun, more nutrients, more water, you will see a huge green bush that starts to bear fruit. But then the vine dresser comes through and says, you know what, there are certain branches that aren't actually bearing, so I'm going to pinch those off because what happens is, is it's redirecting the flow of all of that energy to where the fruit is happening. See, this God says, hey, man, I, I love this vine. I love these branches. But at the end of the day, I want to make fruit. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that's visible and attractive. And see, oftentimes, you know, we get it wrong. We try to produce our own little artificial fruit. It looks more like a Christmas tree ornament. Right? Doesn't have any flavor or anything. Might look beautiful for a second. Don't step on it. It'll hurt. So I understand that some of you might be pruning and bear with me here because I want to get, once I get to the end, I'm praying that you understand how good this God is and why these moments happen. And believe me, I've had them. I know some of you have had them far worse than me. But just hold tight. Let Let me get through this. The result, what's the result of this abiding and the bearing of fruit? There's two that it calls out. It's glory and joy. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The whole point is is that when we bear fruit, we are literally glorifying God. God is somehow, being his weight is being seen for what it really is, he's being lifted high. And Jesus' answer is like, yeah, not only that, but you're gonna get my joy, even after the pairing even in those seasons where you feel like you're not producing fruit. The result is glory and joy. But I have to tell you, I got looking through this. I laid it all out. The gardener takes away and prunes the vine. That's Jesus. He abides, he keeps, and he loves. And we, the branches, are to abide, which is asking, keeping, and loving, trying to do that all at the same time, and then we bear fruit. There's this weird thing, I got thinking about it, and I'm like, John doesn't say anything about what happens to the fruit. Where's his distribution plan? How does that fruit get anywhere? And I, and I wanna argue that sometimes we get in these moments where we want to create fruit and we think it's for us. Right? You get those moments where like I'm gonna grin, I'm gonna try to create your own fruit, You might create something else. Then it's not fruit. But it's true, there's these moments um, where we try to take on the fruit operation as if it was ours, as if that fruit was for us, which just breaks the logic of the whole thing. Yeah, bear a bunch of fruit and then eat it. It's not what it's for. The result is glory for God and joy for you, but what is it designed to do? And I mean, I think, again, this is one of those things that naturally, this is obvious. What does fruit Do fruit is attractive. I have a pomegranate tree in my backyard. It is attractive. It's beautiful. The fruit is delicious. I love to go and get fruit off of that tree. I am attracted to that tree. I want to tell people, I'm telling people about my tree. But even more so, if you really think of what exists in that fruit, is seed. It's seed. Inside this fruit is another generation, another iteration. If you think about it, the end game of any vine, tree, branch the f- is fruit. It is to propagate itself. It is to make more just like it. Maybe, maybe it gets carried off on someone's sock, like my house. Hopefully those weeds don't grow in my house. Or maybe it's carried off by an animal and it goes and propagates somewhere else. Or maybe it just drops right next to it. And builds again. I mean, we are here. We're here on Youth Sunday. We want their fruit to propagate. We want to help them do it, right? So we abide, we create fruit. That fruit is designed to expand, to send more of these vines, in essence, more branches to connect to the vine. But there's distractions. Amen? It's a bunch of distractions. There are a bunch of things that keep us from abiding in the vine because those things basically say, hey, plug into me for a little bit. You're going to be fine. You can go back to the other thing. If you, man, imagine a sphere, or it's just a circle, it's maybe easier. You have 359 degrees that the, the evil one can take you in. He just needs you one degree off. He's just trying to set you off. Hey, you just, just, just do this for a little bit. And I, I found that there are three major ones one I call my mirror ministry. I don't want you to be, don't think weird about this, but there's a bunch of mirrors in my bathroom and it's not a good thing. If any of you know what I'm saying, it's like you get out of the shower and you want to vomit in your mouth. They show you that tuft of of hair that you have right here, but not on the other side, right? A fat part, you know, you're like, geez. Mirrors are designed to have us self-evaluate our physical appearance. And I'd argue that it's more than that. I I think when we look in a mirror, oftentimes what we're trying to do is say, yeah, I need to look more beautiful in this way. I need to grow my beard out differently that way. And none of that stuff matters. None of it matters. Here's the other thing it does. I'm looking at the mirror to see if I could be as handsome as Drew Dowler. No mirror is that magical. But what it will do it will eat at my heart. I will be plugging into something different. I will be looking for something to be providing me energy and power in a different way, in an inappropriate way. I am abiding in something else. Anyone share this one with me? Self-evaluation, how do I look? Am I smart enough? Boy, that guy seems really smart. That guy seems really gifted. I think I want to do what they do guys, I struggle with this. I struggle for significance. I've told my my friends and and the pastors here, like, I want to be significant. And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Our king is significant. He's where all of my significance come from. It doesn't matter what I do. Mirror ministry. Here's another one. Tiny God, Sam Whitaker, in the very first uh, sermon in this series, brought this up. He said, we all have tiny gods. He said he had a friend in Africa that says, you guys all serve the tiny god. You guys could all pull it out right now. You serve, as anyone, have you enabled in iOS or in Google, whatever it is, Google OS? Who cares? Um, where you set up, the, uh, you set up your, um, the data, the metrics on your phone. Have you looked at those things? I recommend that all of you enable them. The amount of time we spend on these things is crazy doing nonsense nonsense i mean so okay i know some of you some of you are in here and you're like oh but i check my emails and i text my good friend who's dying i'm like okay fine you have a few good things maybe you should call that person not on this go visit him but you see what i'm saying we are actually tethered to a power source we are abiding in something with phones sam had recommended hey find apps that you use and get rid of them don't have them accessible use this as a real phone I mean how many of us actually call places we don't you ever see that? it's one of those things and I'm trying to catch myself I'll be really honest with you I was preparing for this I went to take a break went upstairs to just take a break with my wife maybe watch some TV I got up and went back downstairs to get my phone I didn't even look at it while I was up there I just needed it near me Because there's that person who's gonna call me, that person's gonna text me. I need to know. Could be my my kid, and they could be dying. You know, the good Lord has your children in mind. There were centuries, millennia where you didn't have that connectivity, and I'm gonna promise you that it was no worse than now. In fact, I'd say now is worse. Do you see where I'm going? Some of you should just you should be tapping your phone right now saying, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would reduce this, the use of this. Now, here's something else. There's a bunch of you in the room. You're like, I don't even have a phone. I'm not part of that generation. What do you have access to? Maybe some of you are reading your newspaper for hours in the morning while your spouse sits across quiet from you. Is that you? Because maybe you're abiding in the wrong thing. I mean, it's not just a phone. I could be up watching TV, have my family there, and be on my phone. What is that message sending to the fruit of the next generation? Do this. Works. And then finally, I'm gonna talk a little bit about social media, and I'm gonna let actually some social media people speak for themselves. Um, Yeah, let's just go there. This is a social media platform developer was in very early, and he said this, we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection, because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with value, and we conflate that with truth. This gentleman will not let his children touch social media. He knows better. He's now a billionaire made all that money off of social media, but he won't touch it because he understands what it is. The thing you need to know is that much like if any of you have ever, like I know, everyone's gonna say no, but if you've ever played a slot machine, you pull the arm, pull the arm. Do you know slot machines make more money than like, I think all of pro, is it pro sports and something else combined? Hollywood, because it's only quarters or nickels, right? But there's millions of those things going in there. And because when you pull on that handle, dopamine gets released in your head. What do you think those hearts, likes, and thumbs up are all about? That's exactly what they want. Here's the truth, guys. I'm gonna let, I'll let the former president of Facebook say, it's a social validation feedback loop. It's exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. We understood this and we did it anyway. Do you realize in social media you are the product? You are. You're the product. It's you putting the content there, and it's your eyeballs that they're getting paid on. I think in a, in a, in a God-fearing world, social media could have a great place. But if I'm, oh man, I'm no scientist, I'm no psychologist, but the people I talk to, especially young people, do you know that the second, man, the second leading cause of death among 10 to 34-year-olds is suicide? It's suicide, guys. We're plugging into the wrong things. We're thinking we're going to find some value in something else. We get these little dopamine hits and then we get addicted and we stay in these things that are meaningless in the long term. You are not the avatar that you post up there. Your meals online look a lot better than the ones you have every day. I'm telling you, you have to be careful of what you're plugging into. I could go to video games, I could go to all kinds of things. We plug into and we find these valuable moments. We think that it's gonna give us warmth and calm. And it may for a short period of time, but at the end of the day, you will bear no fruit. And if you do, I'm gonna tell you, it's the wrong kind. I'm not here to bash an industry or anything. I'm, what I'm trying, I want you to redirect yourselves. I want you to pay attention to what you are abiding in. You spend hours every week doing stuff. Like, I'm okay with you abiding in sleep. That's a good thing. You, if you had a metric on that and you're getting eight hours a day, rock on. God would be for that too. But there are other things that we, I mean, think of clickbait. Have you ever gone on the, anyone gone on the internet? You like go to read one particular article, you have a goal. You go to that goal and then you see an article that says, See what they're doing now. There's these actors and actresses 20 years later and you're like, oh geez, click. And then you spend 20 minutes and you don't even get to the answer. They never even show that person. The person that whatever was pictured there, oftentimes never even in that study. Not even part of it. They want your eyes. And there's one behind a lot of this that wants your eyes, they want your distraction, they want you to plug into something else. There are powers afoot that want you to go somewhere else. what are you abiding in? That's the big question today. Where is it you ask for all of your life? Where is it that you try to keep rules with? Where would, where would someone, if there's someone in your life you really trust, friend, coworker, spouse, child, what would they say you abide in? Well, that's an interesting question. To be honest, if we really boil down abiding, what abiding means is dying. When I abide, I die to myself. I don't seek my pleasure in the moment. I don't seek comfort in the wrong ways. I go to ask the king, I pray to the king. I seek better obedience for myself because I know I can't do it on my own. I can't bear fruit on my own. I need him. I plug into the very place that can give me real fruit. And our world needs that fruit. I mean, come on, guys. Think about this. I've, I'm, I'm guilty of this. When you're sitting in a room with your family and you're looking at your device, what is it telling them? I could tell you Google and, and Apple, they want you to be doing that. They want you to be all about your phone all about your computer, all about the internet, when we should be all about our king, abiding in him and looking to produce as much fruit as possible, good fruit. Here's the good news. This section continues. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You realize Jesus is saying these words right before the cross. You are my friends, my beloved If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. I don't just give you orders. I'm letting you in on the big deal. I'm letting you in on the plan. I'm letting you in on exactly what I've got. Everything I know, you know now. I've called you friends for... All that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. I want you to pay very close attention. There's one little phrase in there that's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird. Okay, it's good. This God chooses us. He appoints us that you bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. How does that work? Now my fruit's doing something. This is you Sunday, people. Do you have anyone that you have following along with you? Do you have anyone that you're raising up, and teaching them, here's how, here's how I remain in the vine. Here's how I plug in to this vine, the only vine that matters. Are you doing that? Maybe you feel like you're not worthy of that. Well, I'm gonna tell you that's a lie. Now you may not be worthy of taking them through the Bible, but actually there are plenty of people who don't have dads or moms that could really use another parent around, someone to influence them in positive ways. You don't need to know the whole Bible to do that. But if you're plugged into God and you're walking along helping fruit abide, isn't that a good thing? chapters later, there's something called the high priestly prayer. And it's when Jesus, by the way, most of the section of of John is all red. If you have a red letter, Bob, it's like all red. And this is Jesus praying to the father and he gets to a point in the prayer and he prays this, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Those are the fruit that will abide later. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Sounds a little bit like abiding language, does it not? That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. Guys, um, man, I want you to think about how brilliant this gardener is. The beginning of the story, there are a bunch of trees in this garden and only one that we weren't supposed to have, but we took of that. And ever since, we've been cultivating, growing, prospering bad fruit. The whole world is built on, it's just a bunch of bad fruit that's been planted everywhere. And what does this gardener do? It's crazy, he plants a new vine, one. And this vine says, plug into me, you can be one of my branches. But the kicker is, in order to do that, that vine had to die. God would literally take his divine DNA, jam it into the world, and say, okay, a seed has to die in order to become something new. So he would plant. He started this new planting project through our king named Jesus. There's a new garden afoot. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you smell it? Because at the end of the day, I'm okay with you smelling your own fruit. Because if you're growing fruit, man, you are connected to that vine, that is a good thing. And at the end of the day, that garden is gonna be the garden. All the bad fruit that's all around us, we want to bring as much. God is in the business of reconciling all of creation back to himself, so he wants all of those bad fruit to become good fruit. How can we do this? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's by you abiding and you actually helping other fruit abide. Start with your kids, man. I've done a horrible job. Not a horrible job. I have not done the job I could have done with my children. That's an honest to God truth. And I'm not saying like, oh, I just didn't do this or that. I'm saying like, I could have done a much better job if I was in the vine better. It's not over. Not done. Because one day they're going to have grandkids as well. And I want that fruit to abide. And my neighbor maybe who doesn't have a father, maybe I can help that fruit abide. I can show them, here's what it's like. Marinate in this king. Plug into his ways. Because the world will be better because of it. We're going to take communion. I want you to think about this. As you take communion, there's a, how many grapes did it take? Something had to be crushed for this to happen. For you to have this, crushed. This is why we take communion. We see what God has done, and we relive it. And we recognize the weight of this crushing recognize that this crushing happened so we didn't have to. Death no longer has a sting. Life can be bearable. Man, you are going to, I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to plug into the wrong things. You will. All I'm asking is that you ask and you keep and you love and constantly you're just, all you're going to be doing is going back to this king and saying, yep, I missed it. I missed it. And he's going to say, yep, you did. Cool. Next, let's move on. We're moving on. To be truthful, I didn't give them enough time to pass that out. So we're gonna wait for just a second. But I do, I want you to think about this. Think about what are you abiding in? Because we're abiding in several things, right? We're abiding. I'm abiding in, in attempting to try to create the own fruit of my significance. I want people to know my name. I want to please people so they know, oh, that's a good dude. And while that may sound okay, that's nonsense. Any good that's in me comes from the king. And it's when I abide in him, see what he wants me to do. That's what we need to do. All right, so we're going to Stand. We're going to take communion together, and then we're going to listen to this awesome band. Haven't they been good? So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. said, this is my body. This is my gift to you. Let's take the bread together. And then he took the wine said, this is is a sign of my new covenant. This is my blood. This is the blood that was shed for you. You don't have to worry about these things anymore. You know where to plug in. You know where to abide. And I'm a good king and my garden has started and you're part of it. Let's take it together. Father God, I thank you so much for these folks. I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for your desire to create us more in the image of your son each and every day. I pray that you'd help us through your spirit to discern those things we are abiding in incorrectly, those things we are seeking our value in, those things we are, are just looking to for too much. Let us raise our heads from our phones. Let us get off our email accounts and love on each other and see your garden go forth because of the fruit both we and the people around us are producing. In Jesus' name.